Hello and welcome to Organic Life, a podcast for those interested in eating and living in a healthier, more sustainable way. My name's Matthew and on this episode we're talking medicinal mushrooms with Monica Wild. Monica is a forager, research herbalist and ethnobotanist. She lives in a self-built wooden house on four organic acres where she encourages medicinal and foraging species to create a wild teaching garden. She teaches foraging courses all over the country here in Scotland and I actually had the pleasure of attending one last year. Me and my wife, we went to one of the mushroom foraging courses. So that links up well with today where we're going to talk about four species of fungi that have become really popular these past few years. Their names are Cordyceps, Chaga, Lion's Mane and Rishi. Well, I think um, just before we talk specifically about reishi, I think it's helpful to talk about the qualities that mushrooms give in general. And one of the things that all the mushrooms are known for is that they boost your immune system. So it's a little bit like, um, you know, the game um, Super Mario, when he jumps on a mushroom and gets superpowers, you know. So basically, when we take mushrooms in, they act on our immune system in the same way. They kind of supercharge the immune system. Um, and that's to do with a chemical group called polysaccharides, beta-glucans polysaccharides. Now, all mushrooms contain these compounds. You can't be a mushroom and not have these compounds in because they're a vital part of the cell wall. So even if you just have button mushrooms from the shops, um, just the standard ones that you buy in a supermarket, you're going to have some of those properties. And in actual fact, there have been clinical studies over thousands of women showing that people who regularly have just plain button mushrooms several times a week have lower risks of certain types of cancer and breast cancer. Um, the reishi in particular is sort of like a superhero of the mushrooms. So they're all good. Um, well, obviously, except for poisonous ones yeah. <laughs> we're just talking about the ones that you know that you can buy in this buy over the counter um but reishi is um considered a you know like the king of them it was known as the um, um the mushroom of immortality or the emperor's mushroom of immortality in japan and its use goes back thousands of years um and part of that's because it's a really really good immune modulator so they strengthen your immune system, but keep it in balance at the same time. They don't push you out of balance, which would put you into an inflammatory state. They're also very good um, for allergies, you know, when people are having allergic reactions and things, because they also calm um, inflammation and um, to a certain um, um, extent neurological stress down as well. So you mentioned earlier that you take it sometimes in the evenings when you want a really good night's sleep. And that's because it has this calming down effect, you know, on the on the nervous system as much as it does on the inflammation as well. So they're what we call immunomodulators. They keep both sides um, in, in tandem. So we've got reishi there. We've also got the lion's mane. I must admit, the first time I ever heard of someone saying that they take lion's mane, I imagined literally, you know, a lion's mane, some <laughs> hair. I thought it was some like weird witchcraft potion type thing. But um, lion's yeah. mane, how, firstly, how, how does it get its name? Is it just a visual thing? Yes. Well, this the one on the table here is quite small and it's actually um, heresium 
choroloides, so it's the coral-toothed version. Um, but a full lion's mane, once they grow big in the wild, they have spines that hang down. So they literally look like a snow-white lion with a great big sort of hairy mane just hanging down. You don't often see them in the wild, and in fact they've become protected. They're a protected species now, so even if you find one, you're not allowed to pick it. Mm -hmm. And that's not because the mushroom itself is rare. It's because the type of trees that it likes to be on have become rarer. Lion's mane particularly likes growing on trees that have already been eaten to a certain extent by mushrooms. So when the, when the tree dies, some of the first colonizers will be things like porcelain fungus or oyster mushrooms. And then as it decays further, the lion's mane likes to come in because it likes a different, uses a different type of, of food as the tree is breaking down. But nowadays, a lot of the time, if somebody sees a rickety tree by the side of the road, they cut it down. It's called health and safety. So health and safety is responsible for cutting all the old rickety trees down that lion's mane would like to live on. And once it's deprived of its habitat, then you have no more mushrooms. Um, lion's mane is really good for the nervous system and the brain. So it helps to... Um, keep your memory really good, to keep focus and cognition really good. And it also has um, the ability to help to regenerate nerves. So it does this by promoting something called nerve growth factor, or NGF. It's shortened too. So where there's been damage to the neurological system, it will actually repair it. And it's quite, you know, it's fairly unique in doing that. Some of the herbs do that to a certain amount as well. Um, but there's not many pharmaceuticals that can actually repair and restore nerves. Yeah, I've heard examples of lion's mane being used in the, the case of early onset Alzheimer's and things like that, just because of its sort of neurological properties, I guess. Yeah, that's that's one use as well. And and people do take it as a supplement to to keep themselves, you know, mentally late, mentally young and alert. Not like me. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the third in our uh, pantheon, I guess, uh, the it's missing from our table today, but cordyceps, that's another one. I don't think we, do we, do we see cordyceps growing in Scotland at all? I know we have an international audience here, but... Um... Um, we do. Um, I've never found cordyceps sinensis, um, but I have found a another cordyceps, which is called the um, snake tongue truffle club. It's Latin. It's got a lovely Latin name. It's Tolipocladium ophioglossioides. <laughs> <laughs> so it used to be in what was called a, an Ophio cordyceps. And that's also has a long use in traditional Chinese medicine. But it's tiny. You know, it's about two inches high and it's black. So you've got to have really, really sharp eyes to spot it. And you've got to know where it's growing. And you've got to be out on the exact date that it chooses to grace us with its presence. So there's not a lot that are recorded as found. So most of it is farmed. Most of the cordyceps that's available that you buy is farmed from big mushroom farms. I've heard the cordyceps being used now quite popularly in the, the sort of um, athletics and even weightlifting community. Um, is there particular reasons for that? Yes, it's been used for a very long time with um, sports. In fact, I think the um, Chinese Olympic team going back, you know, several decades 
um, were responsible for sort of introducing it to that arena alongside things like Siberian ginseng, Eleutherococcus. And um, what it seems to do is to enhance energy by making more oxygen available on a cellular level. Um, so people take it to increase the amount of energy they've got. So very commonly, people with fatigue will take it. At the moment, I'm working with a lot of people with Lyme disease, and chronic fatigue is a big aspect of that. And taking cordyceps really helps as one of the one of the things that they can do. Cordyceps as well. Uh, I must uh, mention this. It's kind of the the sci-fi writer's dream in the sense that <laughs> when you read about like. I've read things about it um, controlling, ho not humans obviously, but controlling various things, almost parasitic, is that? That's one of the um, Amazon cordyceps species, which, so the, the, the one that's most sought after, um, the wild cordyceps, they grow up in the Himalayas. And what they do is they um, parasitize caterpillars and then kill the caterpillar. And once the caterpillar is killed and eaten, they then produce the, the cordyceps. The part, it looks like an upside down black golf club. And um, in the Amazon, they have one that um, parasitizes ants. And what they do is they take over the brain of the ant and they make it climb up. Now, most ants want to be down on the forest floor scurrying about um, so they can reach their nests, they can catch insects, debris off the floor and everything. But what it does is it makes them climb the trees right to the top of the canopy. And once it's got to the top of canopy, it kills it and then produces a mushroom and releases the spores. Because, of course, if it produces the spores down at the bottom of the canopy, the spores aren't going to go anywhere. But up at the very top, you know, at least the spores can catch the wind and then, you know, be trans transported to other places so it literally does take over <laughs> yeah it's good good sci-fi um fuel <laughs> that isn't it yeah. um at least it's not happening to humans though i guess uh, well that's debatable <laughs> <laughs> not cordyceps but there is a debate as to how much bacteria take over our brains mm -hmm. i read quite an interesting article about um crazy cat lady syndrome and how there's um an infection, I think it's toxoplasmosis, but I might be wrong, um, that once it's in the brain can make you acquire more and more cats, um, which are the carrier of, you know, of this, of this particular parasite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we are uh, essentially slaves to our, our gut bacteria anyway, aren't we? I mean, they're, they're telling us what to do all the time. So It's not just the gut bacteria. You've got a respiratory microbiome. You've got, you know, um, I mean, you've got, you know, different microbiomes over all of your body. Your skin, which is your largest organ, has its own microbiome as well. So um, you just have to basically rethink the way that we think of ourselves as humans. You know, we're not really um, autonomous, you know, um, individuals. You know, each one of us is kind of like a universe encapsulated by a bit of decorative skin that makes you, you and me, me. And inside that, you know, 46% of the genes are ours, but 52% of the genes belong to a huge collection of trillions of bacteria, viruses, bacteriophages, you know, other types of phages, um, microbes we've probably never even heard about. 
So it's kind of like men in black, if you're talking about sci-fi, go back down to the cat, go inside the cat's bell and just keep getting smaller. Each one of us is a universe. I like to use the word hollow beyond mm. because, you know, we are hollow beyonds in the same way that a lichen is a hollow beyond. You know, it's several species living together um, that assume an entity when they're together, that they're not, you know, that they are more than the sum of the parts. Yeah, just a big walking temporary collection of communities, <laughs> aren't they? Um, yeah, that calls for a, a future episode on the Buddhist concept of self, I suppose. I'll have to <laughs> dig somebody out for that. Um, so uh, Chaga then, or, or fourth fungi, what's, uh, what's the deal with Chaga? Chaga was mainly used in Russian and Eastern European medicine, and less so in Chinese because it grows on birch. So it was very prevalent in the birch forests of the very far north. And even when you find it here in Scotland, it, it likes a cold, it likes a cold and chilly valley. So it likes that combination of cold and birch forests. And um, so, I mean, it was written about, I think, which of the Russian writers was it who was it Solzhenitsyn or Dostoevsky who did Cancer Ward, where he documented the treatment with it? But it's been used in Russia for a very, very long time as a cancer treatment. Um, and, you know, decocted, so boiled up for a very long time. I gave you a little taste of it earlier. And um, used against cancer. You know, Rishi is also used a lot in cancer treatments too, as are turkey tails and maitake. Again, because it's this immune system strengthening action, but a lot of them also have um, the ability to kill cancer cells and also to, you know, activate your immune system so that your immune system produces more killer cells too. But in general, um, with chaga and also with the birch polypore, which we kind of, which is kind of like white chaga, um, they both grow on birch trees. So as well as these. Um, beta-glucans polysaccharides that are good for your immune system. They're also taking elements from the tree as well. So betulinic acid from the birch tree is one. So they have very similar properties to the birch tree as well in that they're also extremely good for treating um, arthritis and arthritic type pain. Um, they are a specifics for the auto autoimmune diseases like psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, and also for inflammatory gut conditions as well. Um, so it's that combination of the triterpenes from the birch trees and the polysaccharides that make this so special too. Before we get on to the topic of um, obtaining these these foodstuffs, these supplements, I just want to talk a bit about, uh, because I hear a lot mentioned about the two ways to, to process these things is the hot water and the alcohol. What's mm. the difference between between those two um, methods of processing, I guess you would call them? Yeah. Well, if you want something to be good for your immune system, you have to use, do it as a hot water extract. And the reason for that is, is that these... Um, beta-glucans polysaccharides are locked up in the cell wall. Um, and as you, as you can feel, you know, these are really tough, hard mushrooms. You know, they're woody almost. So you've got to grind the mushroom and then boil that powder up 
in order to release the um, polysaccharides because they're water soluble, but they're you know they're in that cell wall matrix. So you've got to get them out. And you know we we don't actually have the um, the gut bacteria and the ability to process mushroom cell walls um, ourselves without that assistance as well. You know, we, I mean, these, the mushrooms that grow on trees or, you know, the really hard woody ones, um, you know, they would just go straight through us. So if you're just buying a powdered mushroom, that's just literally fruiting body that's been powdered up, you're going to get some benefit, but not as much as if you'd made a hot water extract. Now, then the other side of the coin is that you then also want some of the things that aren't water soluble. You might want some of the alcohol soluble. So we were just talking about chaga, betulinic acid, and the tri, you know, is, is one of a group of, you know, and the triterpenes that come out of that. So those are soluble in alcohol. So most of the time, what I would do is I will actually make a hot water extract and an alcohol extract, and then recombine them together. So then I have a dual extract, um, and that makes sure that you know that all of the the mushroom is encapsulated, not just one part or the other. One thing's for sure, these four species have really helped propel the world of medicinal mushrooms into the mainstream. So as somebody who's been working with fungi for a long time now, I just wanted to get Monica's take on that. What difference, if any, has she noticed in recent years? Certainly there's a lot more discussion about it and there's a lot more manufacturers and supplements companies just putting stuff out. And... Um, it's become popularized. So, you know, if you go into a coffee bar, sometimes you can get chaga shots. And, um, you know, you, they seem to come in capsules or powders or mixes or drink form and, you know, almost as if they're just some sort of food supplement. And um, I guess they're kind of helpful like that, but I tend to normally use them um, medicinally with people. Um, I think, you know, like with anything, you should try to have good basic health and then just use supplements and nutrients and herbs when you need a bit extra. So Monica is going to be joining us on episodes throughout the remainder of this first season. On the next episode, we're going to learn more about foraging mushrooms and even how to grow your own. On top of that, we'll be taking a wider look at foraging beyond the fungi kingdom in future episodes, and we'll be talking a wee bit about seaweed too. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you never miss an episode. You'll find links on how to do that, along with the show notes and links to Monica's own work, over at organiclife.me. That's organiclife.me.